You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 26. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. And welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Joe Zach. <laughs> and I'm Michael Outlaw. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So uh, starting off with a little bit of news here, um, have a bunch of things we want to mention to uh, mention to you, but we'll get to them quickly. First of all, our pal Andy Joyner pointed us towards Swansea Con, and not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's actually a, it's an agile development software craftsmanship conference in Swansea, South Wales, September 7th and 8th. And they've got some really cool talks like architecture versus code and treat your code like a crime scene and my favorite one, refactoring Mount Doom. So, so when they say like treat your code like a crime scene, does that mean they just point blame? Yeah. <laughs> they place blame everywhere? I just imagine like you Dexter like going around with his little strings and This is your fault. Get blame. <laughs> Dexter, wow, you took it to a dark spot. Right. <laughs> it does sound like a really cool conference. So if you're in that area of the world, or if uh, you want to send me there, that's you probably cool. know if he pronounced it correct. Yeah, that's right. And uh, also, I wanted to give a big thanks to Tom Dane, and he works for a company called Onserata, and we wanted to give them props. Uh, you've got a keeper, Onserata, so uh, you should send him to Swansea Con. Yes. <laughs> All right. Also, we got a ton of reviews, which, you know, we've said before, thank you very much. So, some of them, Craig, Craig Oliver, Nightbob3, Kevin Salonian, Salonan, Techie Suck, Tom Dane, and Brooksnet. <laughs> and Techies UK. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you said that. I was like, wait, wait, what? Techies UK. Uh, or techie suck, whatever. So, <laughs> the, so uh, thank we'll you. Something out. Yeah. So I was thank you. Just glad it wasn't me this time. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, thank you. I uh, very, very much appreciate the uh, the kind words that you guys left for us, both in iTunes, Stitcher, and and you guys have also emailed us directly. So thank you, thank you very much. Yep, and we've been really bad about responding, so thanks for your patience. Uh, we do appreciate it. We've got an FAQ uh, question answer coming up uh, sometime soon. Yeah, I feel like it's safe for me to blame you guys for the bad responses since I've already publicly said that you know I'm horrible at the responses. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I've been trying to get back to them as, as soon as I can. I, I think I replied to several right before the show. So, yeah. Although, if you did get a response and it was from me, it'd be interesting to see if who could figure out they got the response from me. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Nobody will. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think anyone will figure it out? I don't know. Let's just say that there were some from me. All right. All right. Um, in other news, I actually did get a two-part video up on JavaScript closures. So if you want to know what... one a, part wasn't enough. Well, so you know what's frustrating about that? Until I gave away all my life's information and sold my soul to YouTube, I couldn't do anything longer than 15 minutes. This was right at 16, so I had to break it up into two. I no longer have that problem because I did sell my soul to, to YouTube. So the next video, if it does run over 15 minutes, you'll be fine. But uh, there is a two-part course on that, or not course, I guess just kind of like a learning thing. So if you want to know why you need a JavaScript closure and what it actually is, go check out the videos. We'll have links in the show notes, or you can just go up to the site and uh, 
the top of the page there's a YouTube link. Click that and go over there. Yep. And I actually watched the videos. Uh, I can I I will testify that they are very good and uh, did a good job of explaining um, what closures are and uh, gave a really good example of why you would use one. Yeah, I liked it too. I watched it too. Cool. Appreciate that. Um, so that's two of your watches. Yes, yeah, hey, I, I think we've got like twenty. So <laughs> that's a tenth of them. Nice. Uh, also, we we have a bunch of people who ask all the time how do how do I sharpen my skills at programming? And there is a fantastic resource out there called TopCode.com. And if you go there and sign up for an account, you can actually compete writing code. And if your code wins, you can earn money. So it's actually kind of a good way to get into this because we always say the biggest challenge is coming up with something to do, right? And so they're like going to secretly use your algorithm to like, you know, create Skynet, but they needed like this one little part of the puzzle they couldn't figure out. Probably. Um, but it's it's a really How cool do I idea. Lowercase all my strings. <laughs> there it is. Right. <laughs> so so if you've been looking for for a way to do some code on the side to sharpen your skills a little bit better, this is a great way to do it. You may not win any of the contests, but at least you'll learn something along the way. So definitely go check that out. www.topcode.com. Oh, yeah, that, that sounds like it go very well with today's episode. It will. Uh, that actually reminds me. I wanted to mention real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys heard. Uh, I, I heard about it on the um, on the uh, Security Now podcast. But the the guy who won like two hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Oh that, my that, god, uh, that guy was sick. Wow. Yeah, he, and it was like two thousand lines of code. Was or from something that, like that from the black hat. It was two thousand lines of code. Uh, black hat. They gave away. I want to say it was over four hundred thousand dollars worth of cash and prizes that was given out for different bugs that were found. One guy took over two hundred thousand. I don't remember the exact number. But he took over. He took more than half of the total prize given out, and it was for like bugs that he found in or exploits. I should I should phrase it right. that he found in Chrome and IE and Firefox and uh, uh, Safari. So yeah, he he uh, it was and it was. I remember. I don't know where all of them. It was just, it was just one of. It, okay, I remember what it was. It was the Chrome one that was two thousand lines of code, hmm. and it took advantage of um, Chrome's native. Uh, JavaScript engine. Yeah, yeah, so that's um that's a pretty nice hobby. So yeah, I was able to sell my wife on uh, spending some more time with my nose and computers. Like, hey babe, look at this. <laughs> this <laughs> it, potential. Yeah, if you bring home two hundred K in one competition, she might let you stay stay right. on there a lot longer. That's right. Yeah. All right. So I kind of have a confession here. Right? So Is this appropriate? Um <laughs> Well, we'll find out. <laughs> Well, let's let's just take it by ear. This is Michael, by the way. I know some people can't tell us apart, so yeah, yeah. That's wait. Kind of you're Michael. <laughs> oh, no. I thought I was Michael. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. This is weird. I'm Bill Clinton. Oh. <laughs> wow, this confession really is going to get dark. <laughs> so there I was. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so lots so, of editing coming. <laughs> so. I mean, we've talked about before with, uh, you know, ReSharper, for example, and and my love affair with ReSharper. But I've uninstalled it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it before. So I've actually been running without it for quite a while now. So, like, what happened was um, I wanted to use the power, the, the, uh, what's it called? The Visual Studio Power Tools. Power Tools, yep. And, um, but there's a known uh, conflict between Power Tools and 
um, resharper. So initially, like it, when I had the two installed, it was it was creating some problems. So you know what ended up happening was uh, you know uninstall one and play around with it and you know see if if it uh, got any better and then ended up uninstalling the other one and now I have neither and, and I've just been running like that for a while. And uh, what do you miss the most? <sighs> My dignity. Um, <laughs> no, uh, there's definitely like in, um, like I don't know, there, there are all kinds of little cool things like finding references. I, I like the way that ReSharper does it versus the built-in way that um, uh, Visual Studio. Studio has it. But you know, I don't know. There's, it's there. I like the the refactoring capabilities better of ReSharper than what's there. So it's like, it's a bunch of little things that like, there's some functionality that's already there inside a studio, but I kind of liked ReSharper's spin on that functionality better. Does that make sense? Yep. So the, the code cleanup, it's not like, yeah, I mean, that's part of the refactoring. There's not like there's one big thing, you know, I, I, I also miss like the little, um, I don't, I don't know what they call it, but you know, the, the stoplight, you know, the, the, or the, I should call them like the little hash marks with, you know, red, yep. green, yellow, yeah. you know, for those kind of things, you know, I, I definitely miss that. And, um, you know, the squiggly suggestions all the time, but yeah, is yep. it, is it killing you or do you feel like things are running faster or better or anything? So when I originally set out to do this, I thought, well, you know what? I was really on the hook to go ahead and, and upgrade, to version nine and then uh i thought you know what i'll go ahead and uninstall and um just to you know work without it for a little while and then when i decide that i want it then i'll go ahead and do the upgrade right and there have been a couple times where i've been tempted to do it but um where i've been tempted to go ahead and do the upgrade but like nothing that I've missed enough that I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Let me do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'll, I will, I know I will go back to it. There's no question in my mind about that, but, um, <laughs> it's just, there was some comment like on like the last episode of thing it was too, that made me want to, uh, say something about it too. And I, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I, I'll definitely be back. Yeah, I, I spent a couple of days without it recently because I kind of switched versions of Visual Studio, and uh, it was painful for me because uh, I'm so used to just being able to kind of type, and I guess I've just gotten used to the patterns. I do use the ReSharper shortcuts, so it was painful. But um, I, the thing that I kind of missed the most was just being able to like type a class name that is either in one of the references or maybe in a, another um, project mm-hmm. that I haven't added to using for, and it's it, it just really good about finding stuff like that. And it's also good about finding things that you haven't actually built yet. So if you create a new class and then hop over somewhere else, you may not have compiled yet, but you'll still get the um, the uh, autocomplete for it. The IntelliSense. Right. Yeah. yeah it's a nice I, mean, I think tools. part of it, too, has just been like, where have I been coding, too? So I've been spending a lot of my time more on like front-end code where uh, ReSharper provided less value. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're doing a lot of heavy C-sharp, then it's uh, definitely more valuable. Um, I pause it sometimes. If I'm getting too aggravated, I can't deal with it. I'm like, all right. I don't want anything else slowing down anything else that I'm doing. Yeah. Maybe that's what I should have. All right. I kind of got my feelings hurt a little bit by that. (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel. I don't know. I I kind of take it personally a little bit. My my confession wasn't wasn't juicy enough for you? 
No, I, it was too juicy. <laughs> I, I kind of feel a little sad. Like maybe there's going to come a day with Rosalind and just improvements in Visual Studio where maybe I don't need ReSharper. And I I think I might just kind of buy it because <laughs> I, because of what it used to mean to me. Well, I will say that like in, in, the, in the spirit of features missed, right? Um, one feature, and this isn't a, a, a ReSharper feature, but a Visual Studio feature, I really wish they would open up code lens more. Actually, I think this is in the 2015 uh, preview, if I remember right. Or is it? Maybe. Is I it? know it was only an ultimate in the previous one. Uh, so they kind of they combined like pro and ultimate. Yeah, because yeah. it was in, uh, in in previous versions, it was only in the ultimate version. Like you well, just the premium, said. yeah. It was one of the two. No, it was ultimate. Ultimate, It came yeah. in ultimate. And it was awesome. And at first I thought like, man, I, I, I won't grow attached to that. And then I did. And then when I went away from uh, the pre the ultimate versions, then yeah, now I feel lost. I'm like, oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty. All right, I'm, I'm trying to see if it is in the 2015. I'm bringing that up now. So, do you guys have any progress updates on on our oh, New Year's God, resolutions? Here here? I was already feeling a little depressed. That going to kick me when I'm down. <laughs> we're, we're a quarter of the way through oh, this year now. Is uh, it is in the 2015 preview? The, the CCP, yeah. But I yeah. have very minimal progress. So I've done a little bit more stuff on my rogue lake, which has nothing to do with functional, but uh, it has been it. UI focused. So maybe someday I'll sell it on Steam. I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. All right, so Outlaw's out. So I don't really have any. <laughs> I don't really have much progress on the Angular project because made some videos. I did. I did make some videos for the for the YouTube stuff. So that's part of it. Um, but the Angular thing with 2.0 coming out, it kind of frustrates me, right? Like I don't want to do any videos on 1.3. So I started looking at 2.0. Well, 2.0 was built on TypeScript, and, I was, and I've been kind of like naysaying on TypeScript forever. Like people are like, oh, you should check it out. I'm like, ah, whatever. You know, why do I want a language that just writes my other language for me? Man. <laughs> That's every JavaScript framework out yeah. there. <laughs> but, man, I got to tell you, like, I spent some time messing with JavaScript or with uh, TypeScript over the weekend. It's pretty sweet. It, and, and here's what I'll say about it. Even if you have no interest in doing TypeScript whatsoever as far as how you're going to code your JavaScript, it is worth going over there and looking at their handbook and doing some of their samples and then running their TypeScript compiler to write your JavaScript so they can so you can see how they're doing some of this stuff. Because basically what it's doing is giving you like ECMA six type features with the new with the latest TypeScript, but it's backward compatible with the other browsers. And so you'll get to see how they're doing these funky closures and and constructors and interfaces and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's pretty powerful stuff. I mean, like being a C sharp developer or a Java developer, you would feel very comfortable writing TypeScript and not feeling like your soul is being sucked out of you for being a JavaScript monkey. So, but yeah, I mean, I feel like my, my progress report doesn't have much to report on because you know, I've, spent, I've spent more time focusing on the things that actually matter to my day to day, you know, job and life rather than, you know, just learning Ruby for the hell of it. I think I think if you know at this point I was actually thinking about this this weekend that you know I was like well I need to go ahead and just devote some time to it but I was like well rather than maybe going deep like into it like I originally had envisioned maybe I'll just start out with like a you know very surface level and and you know just get into just so I can at least have some uh, some exposure to it Code Academy dude just run through Ruby that way and it it, it feels so easy it's worth trying 
Yeah. So that's, that's it for the progress it just doesn't report. doesn't come up in my day-to-day. That's no, the problem. Yeah, no, I get it too. That, it's the hard thing about learning another language. If you don't have some sort of project in mind, it's hard to force, force yourself to do it. So. If only there were some like kind of trivial projects that you could do that would help you kind of learn something with a focus. Yeah. yeah. I wish I could come up with some of those though. So... So that that brings us to our topic for this uh, episode. Um, oh, a segue. I see what you did there. Yes, yeah, I yes. didn't do it very well, though. <laughs> There's a big fat um in the middle, which we now can't edit out because then this won't make sense. And, uh, it's you didn't write it in there like Paul Blart. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, this, this uh, episode we want to talk about uh, puzzles and algorithms and design patterns and what you actually do at your day job. So... Um, we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what each of those things mean so we can kind of give you some context and then uh, we'll uh, make some points about it, hopefully, and uh, and we'll call it a night. Yep. So I, I think it's probably important first is what is an algorithm? And and a lot of people hear that word and I, I think it's, it's almost like mystical to some people. All it is, this is definition, a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations, especially by a computer. Algorithm is just a solution, not the implementation. Yeah, and it's a precise, <laughs> a precise yeah. solution, which I think is very important. So it's like a recipe. Yeah, you know, if you're making a cake or something, you add one cup of this, and then you put it, you know, mix the egg, and then you put it in the oven for 350. And um, it's specific. And if you follow those instructions, like you should come out with the same result. Which I am not a cook, so that never happens. <laughs> but uh, we wanted to kind of differentiate that between a program. So if an algorithm is a set of instructions that are, you know, not code, it's just a, you know, I want to say English, but it could be, you know, any language. It's just uh, a recipe. Then a program is an instance of that recipe. It's the actual meal that comes out. So it's the actual um, lines of code, the instructions for the machine to actually solve that problem. If you do it through programming. Yes. And uh, also what I want to mention too is um, along with that uh, program, there's a lot of other stuff that's not necessarily even related to the algorithm. So if you are you know, trying to sort some numbers, if you're using some sort of program that's going to be useful to anyone in the world, then there's going to be logging, um, there's going to be arguments, there's going to be input and output type things, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that is not really directly related to the solving of that problem that is required to make this thing useful. But that's why your, your one line, hello world has all those other lines, right? Yeah. If you ever, uh, <laughs> if you, uh, decompile that hello world, you're going to see a whole lot of other stuff going on. So then what else is there? Yeah. So if we talked about it, we said the algorithm is the recipe and a program is like the actual implementation of that recipe along with your other stuff. And um, I want to kind of contrast that with everything else. So um, things like the Are we talking about like interface. everything else in your day-to-day work? Uh, yeah. I mean, like everything else that um, you have to do before you can really say something's done and ship it out the door. Okay. All right. So things like uh, user interface, right? All right. I got to have a user interface. I'm going to ship it out the door. All right. What color the buttons are. Okay. Then um, there- I, th- I think like we skipped one. Yeah, I did. I was going to come back to it. Oh, okay. 
Uh, we'll come back to that. So I'll put a slash there in the show notes. All right. Um, there is also the operations, which is like if this product is going to be shipped, if it's going to be, you know, in like an actual like physical media, like a CD-ROM, if it's going to be Oh, that kind somewhere. of operations. I thought we were talking about like, you know, like an order of operations kind of thing, like, you know, the actual instructions that were being done. Oh, no. Sorry. Yeah. So you're I talking about meant- like, like operations as in facility business, operations right, right. business like, operations where is this thing actually running business what's it doing how do i update it and these things are often forgotten right. uh, how do i get this to the people that are paying you me totally for it? went out of the programmer world then yeah absolutely um but uh to, to kind of bring it in there's a lot of debugging which whoa, whoa, wait a minute what if it's already right uh i don't <laughs> I think i've if if you <laughs> run something that the first time and it works like you expected it to then you're in trouble uh no the first time you run it your tests fail because <laughs> you're doing TDD. <laughs> no one does TDD. Oh, really? Yeah. But it's a thing. Nobody got time for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> the only TDD code that's ever been written in the world was for TDD books. <laughs> or videos. Or videos. And also just the other kind of stuff that goes on in your day-to-day life, like meetings with people, um, code organization. Oh, and those meetings are always good and valuable. Time. Yes, absolutely. The longer, the better. <laughs> And then, of course, my favorite part of the day, uh, <laughs> lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's where most of the work happens. Right. But uh, there is one other kind of thing that I want to mention there. So, you know, we talked about algorithms. They're the recipe. The program is the implementation. Uh, then what are design patterns? They uh, see. Won't be a good one. Uh, I feel like you already got an answer at the ready. And anything I come back with, you're going to trump. Well, I'm just trying to uh, – I don't know that I necessarily have an answer. No, it's kinda, just making it better, right? Like everything you do, it, uh, it's just making your code better, more reusable, more. Uh, I was going to say it's a repeatable pattern, maintainable, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's almost a way of like organizing your program, right? Hmm. But it's got this weird relationship with a. But it's almost but it in almost between. seems like a pattern, a design pattern is does follow like your definition. You know, I was joking about the the definition that uh, Alan read off for algorithm, but. Uh, you know, it almost feels like it, it fits a lot of that. Yeah. You and know, so I, I these are set of rules to be followed, right? Yep. Yeah, it, it's definitely got a lot of kind of carry over there. But um, yeah, I, I don't think you can really call any specific design pattern an algorithm. Like these are things that you might do, they might be part of your program, but they aren't really specific instructions for doing anything. Really, design patterns, as I think of them, are like a kind of a collection of, you know, objects that do certain things and have methods. But they're not necessarily like, um, what's it called? Like a workflow? What's that called? Uh, it's got the triangles and the squares and I circles. I where this goes. Yeah, I think it's a, a workflow diagram. A decision is what you're talking about, flow, right? decision getting tree. closer, getting closer. Uh, we fail. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I have much. no idea. Oh my gosh, this is going to come to me like tomorrow night. No, but I mean, that's all it is really, is design patterns is a way to make your code easier to maintain over time. <laughs> Flowchart. Flowchart. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to me, you know, an algorithm is a flowchart and a design pattern is almost more like an architecture. Okay. So, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like maybe we could argue that one, but we don't have to. Oh, we can. Whatever. I mean, it really feels, it feels like the design pattern is really close to the algorithm definition. I feel like, you know, to me... It's an, not a solution. But it's, it's not, not implement- the implementation. It, it's it's a process or a set of rules on how to do something. I get that, but it's like me- like here's It's like, here's the rules for a singleton. 
here's the process for you know, I gotta bring up my boy. So, right. <laughs> so here's the process or the rules to create a singleton. And they it doesn't they don't, you know, I mean in some some you know, depending on what you're reading, they might give you actual uh, you know implementation examples, but I really feel like design patterns is falls under that algorithm definition. But what I don't like about it is it's not really specific steps to solve a particular problem. Like I think an algorithm would be like getting ready in the but morning, it is solving a particular brush my teeth, <clears throat> take a shower, but get patterns. Are, but the design patterns are solving particular problems, though. I, I think of them as part of a solution. Yeah, they, they but, don't your solve but your anything. but your program, the alg- there are multiple algorithms in your program, and each one of those algorithms are solving a part of the overall program. Uh. Sure. One algorithm is how to take input. One al- one algorithm is how to to output the output. That's not yeah. really an algorithm, though. An algorithm, as I see it, is you have a problem. You, it you, was the first time that somebody had to figure out how to do it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, agreed, agreed. But now it's just read line, right, or something like that. No, I mean, an, an algorithm is literally, if you think of it, like like taking input's not an algorithm. When you when you say that you want to But that's get, why I'm saying, like, we're taking things for granted, though. Maybe. It, uh, but okay, fine. Go yeah, on. It, it, that one's that one's a tough one. But either which way, so like an algorithm is, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z. How do you get there, right? How do you get from A to Z? I, so, it, it, and and I get what you're saying with the design patterns, and I don't necessarily disagree with either one of you on that one. That I tell you what, th- this is going to be the question we tweet out, and you, dear listener, we want to hear from you. W- what's your take? Do you think that the design pattern? falls into the definition of algorithm as Alan read out or do you think it is something else other than an algorithm? I think that's more than 140 questions the characters. No, that's the question. <laughs> they can answer it however they want. All right, we're going to we're going to hone that sentence down and then tweet <laughs> that out. <laughs> we could put it we could make the question an image. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we actually have some um, there's some kind of famous examples of uh, oh you know we didn't we, we didn't actually talk about puzzles at all but uh, so what's the difference uh, between a puzzle and an algorithm then when I think of puzzles I you know I think of someone asking for an algorithm so you say here's a problem give me a solution for it and that algorithm represents a solution so you're creating the algorithm to solve the puzzle I never think of that when I think of puzzles. What do you think of p- for puzzles? I think that either, uh, you know, I, I think that the person asking the question about the puzzle is just trying to gauge the receiver's uh, response. How do they react to particular situations? So they don't actually want a solution. They just <laughs> want to see if you're... Um, they want to see your solution, sure. They want to see your thought process. They want to see how you think under pressure and and you know how you work with it but okay i don't know that I, I guess where i'm thinking though is that like i don't know that the correctness is always i'm not saying that it's it, it that being wrong in the interview would be acceptable but i'm saying like i don't know that that's always what they're looking for they're not necessarily always looking for an absolute correct answer well let's come back to this after in a minute because we're, we're going to get into a whole set of things and there's a lot of truth to what you're saying right now but but that's actually something that not we've all, got not most truth not all truth just a lot not truth. all truth a okay. lot of truth right. um but we'll come back to that because we definitely have a whole section dedicated to this whole idea of doing um 
coding during an interview process and, and what it means and kind of how it fits. So, so okay, go. well, then during your day job, what are you going to be doing? Yeah. So, I, I mean, honestly, as a programmer, really, what, what you do during the day is you are solving problems all the time, right? Like You're designing algorithms and writing programs. That is that is what you're doing. And, you're right? d- and sweating. <laughs> what? <laughs> <It's>, okay. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to set you up, but so you didn't I think take real it. hard. You didn't take it. Instead, you went somewhere else with it. <laughs> I made a funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm really amazed by how little time is spent like on a keyboard. You know how much actual time is spent um, isn't typing. You know it's it's everything but so conversations, figuring out what you're going to do, reading so much reading of code. Um, just it's not exactly what I thought of when I was kind of in school. You know when I was in in college, I was thinking like I'm going to be designing algorithms and I'm going to be writing programs, and uh, that's not really uh, what I do so much. Yeah, you do spend a lot of time in the uh, in the research area of it, or not just researching how you're going to solve the problem, but researching what's already there to see what you're not going to try and you know break or step on or whatever. All those pictures are research, <laughs> <laughs> and research is such a polite term for uh, the really the frustrating morass of like what the hell is going on. <laughs> there are definitely times where you're like, really. Seriously, this is this is ridiculous. Like, this is impossible. This is about oh oh okay. I see. <laughs> so hey, let, let's talk about some of the famous ones that we've. Hey, one of them we've definitely brought up before on here, and that's called Fizz Buzz. Oh my god! Right? Um, yeah, this is like interview question number one. Like you should learn how to do this, just because you're going to be asked like ten times in your life how to do this. Yeah, and I mean. Yeah, and again, we'll we'll come back to the how you solve these type things in a little while. But but the, these these puzzles, these famous ones here, they're not necessarily made to find out if you're the best programmer on the planet. But they want to see how you logically think through a problem, right? A one that just came up on on Hacker News the other day that Joe pointed out to me, and I had to go read the article was why do all or why do most programmers fail at this one simple problem? And, and the problem was this. You need to be able to print out the numbers 100 all the way down to 1. The caveat is the very first line of your code, excluding any usings or anything like that. Just it, imagine all that stuff's already there. But the very first line is 4i equals 0. So I go from 100 down to 1, but I start with i equals 0. Yep, so you need to print well, you out... I forgot the it. But yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you need to print to out 100... Well, if it's JavaScript, you say var i equals zero. Then ask oh me again. Nobody's got time for that. I actually did it in JavaScript, but at any rate, <laughs> so so that's that's the key. So they want to see how you think, and and it was amazing. So we're definitely leaving a link in the show notes because this was an entertaining and eye opening article. Was it basically the guy was measuring? Hey, so when I give this problem out. The first thing that they did is they asked people, hey, you know, what what kind of problems did you have at your last position? And what they found is, you know, some people would complain and whine about it. And then then later on, they would follow up with this with this I equals zero question. And then they plotted or this guy plotted, hey, the people that were able to do this problem, were they typically the ones whining or was it the people that were failing at this problem that were the whining? And there was a direct correlation between the people who could figure <laughs> out the problem and the people who whined about it. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, because one of the first things they asked was like, well, 
what you thought about, like, what were some of the problems you had with your previous job? And how long they they whined yep. about their you know, problems at their previous job was yeah. part of that input. Yeah, the plot was amazing. So it, it it's just really interesting to see these kind of things. And really, if you think about it, and he said, you know, I wanted to see how many people could figure this thing out in under two minutes. It's a fairly simple question, and and a lot of people would get it wrong, and then they would correct them. And then they and then they get it. Some people would sit there for over ten minutes and not ever come up with a solution. So it was a really interesting thing. But again, this is well, a thing. Said he actually had some people walk out too. Yeah, I, I mean it, it's killer. But it, and we've all experienced this, right? Like we've worked with people or or done interviews where you're like, I don't know where else to go with this, right? So yeah, it's easy to get stuck sometimes. I mean, these aren't the kind of things that you can that you do in a normal job, right? Um, you know, fizz buzz, hundred down to one, like. This really isn't a good model for what a day-to-day life of a programmer looks like, but it does show that you know how to program and how to solve problems. So, uh, I, I, you know, there is some tie over, but it's it's just kind of funny to me to think that like you can go in and say you do a uh, interview with Facebook or somebody, and you do these really cool puzzles, and you're solving cool binary tree, you know, recursive blah whatever, and then you get to work and you're uh, you know working on a contact us form for three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> and th- and that's a reality. I mean, that really is. Oh, uh, there's actually a joke about this though too. Just recently, and I'm trying to remember where I saw it. Now it was on like uh, maybe Reddit or someplace Stack Exchange where it was talking about a question just like that, where it was like, you know, you're interviewing for some top job and they're asking you like super secret, you know, or super difficult, and, you know, NASA level space questions, and then you get in there and it was like, hey, our so our about us page, we need you to make the font. Uh, three pixels larger, right? Yeah. And move it to the left. But yeah. you have to go through our crazy uh, CSS system, <laughs> content management system, whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, CMS. Yes. Yes. Um, and there was one other one that was a, a really cool uh, puzzle, or not puzzle. This was like solving an algorithm. It was on a plural site video that we'll leave a link in the show notes. But it was title casing, and this is a perfect example of the kind of problem that you would get in an interview process. Because there's a bunch of steps that you have to go through. You, you're given this sentence, and now you need to spit it back out in the proper title case. And and we're going to go through kind of the steps that you would take to solve this in just a minute. And, and, and kind of give you some insight into what an interviewer is really looking for. So... And I, I know that if uh, if I were looking to interview right now, I would definitely buff up on doing these kinds of puzzles. Because there's a good chance that you're going to get asked. And it really does help to practice. Yeah, it does. And there's no substitution for practicing this stuff. Like, you cannot prepare for this just by sitting there thinking, oh, I'm a good programmer, right? You need to polish up on it. What if you're really good, though? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are are you? (laughs) All right. This episode is sponsored by Infragistics. We want you to go over and check out infragistics.com slash what's dash new. They've got a ton of stuff going on right now. They've basically just revamped a lot of their products and their site, and they are now giving a webinar series on, on a number of topics from migrating from the desktop to the web, going beyond responsive design. They have a thing on prototyping and managing change. So basically doing fast prototypes without actually having to go in and write any code so that you can see what's going to work. They have storyboards and that kind of stuff. And they have another webinar on on checklists for moving from the desktop to the web, the kind of things that you need to be aware of when you're doing this. So 
one of the cool things right now is you can just go up to infragistics.com itself and there is a registration link there on the front page and they are holding these seminars and it appears that they are completely free on the 23rd of april the 30th of april and the 7th of may and it, it looks like some pretty killer resources and of course they're probably going to tell you how to use their tools while yep. doing this um yeah it's just really powerful tools and frameworks and uh you can sign up for a free trial along with the webinars Yep, so definitely go check that out. Again, it's www.infragistics.com and register, sign up for the webinars and see if their tools work out for you. All right, and so with that, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. You can go to www.codingblocks.net slash review and either go to Stitcher or iTunes, your your choice of index and please leave us a review we greatly appreciate it It does help us out and uh you know if you already have left us a review thank you thank you thank you uh and you know spread the word tell a coworker two or three you know yeah and those reviews really bump us up in the rankings so uh if we ever want to take out cereal you know we need those reviews yeah (laughs) reaching for the stars (laughs) (laughs) that should be a tip for the week if you haven't listened to cereal yet listen to it so good i agree so if you are frustrated with us if you are frustrated with us because we don't give you a podcast per day or week go listen to cereal in between and you will thank us because it is truly amazing stuff it's like 12 hours of like intense wow so why should you practice puzzles Practicing for the job interview, I think, is the big deal. Um, but also, is like, say, if one of your New Year's resolutions was to learn Ruby, then maybe this isn't <laughs> a bad way to go about it. Oh my god, that is actually a very good point. You're taking this as a jab at me, like this is a whole podcast way to jab at me. So you should go to Project <laughs> you Euler. Oh my open god. up your Ruby script. <laughs> yeah, and we'll actually have a, a list of links to uh, really cool puzzle sites uh, in the show notes, and Project Euler is one of them. But uh, yeah, I, I do think these puzzles are a great way to learn a new language. As we mentioned earlier, it's like a short, focused little problem that you can kind of, you know, spend 15 minutes on that really will kind of, you know, give you a good overview of most languages. You know, you're going to be looping, you're going to be printing to screen, you're going to be doing the basics and, you know, functions. And so it's just a, it's a good way of learning a new language. Yep. And it's fun. Just kidding. It's kind of, it's kind of fun. It is a little bit Some fun. Questions if you're watching TV at the same time, it's all right. It, it, it can be a little bit fun just because you're challenging yourself, right? I mean, <laughs> that's that's really what it boils down to. I actually do think it's a lot of fun. All right, so now getting into what I said that we were punning on earlier, and this is the whole part of the job interview thing where, where Michael was saying that basically it, it's not always that they want you to get the absolute right answer because some of these things can't necessarily be solved while you're sitting there completely from from start to finish, or or they might be extremely difficult to do so. A lot of times what what people want to see when you are in an interview room and they're telling you to write code on a board or on a sheet of paper or type it into a computer, they want to see how you think. And they want to see how you take input. Like if if you're getting frustrated with something and they try to offer input and you bark back at them, then they're going to be like, oh, this guy's probably not that easy to work with, right? Like there, there's a lot of things that they're looking for. And one of them is, what is your thought process? And and so that kind of gets into this, how, how do you solve a puzzle, right? So how do you solve or how do you create an algorithm? If it, it, like the title case thing that we had earlier, right? Like if the very first thing you start doing is writing code, you're probably going to start coding yourself into a corner 
and get frustrated because now instead of having this this clear recipe, as Joe put it earlier, instead of having this recipe that you can look at and make sure that you have things in place, now you're going to be trying to rearrange code and you don't even know where you're going with it completely yet. And you're going to keep running in these edge cases. And so it, it becomes very difficult. So so there, there's a book um, that we'll include in the, uh, you know, as one of the resources in the show notes, but it's called Cracking the Coding Interview. And I'm not sure how to pronounce her middle name, but uh, Gail McDowell is her name. And, uh, you know, she actually had, she, she's been an interviewer at some of the, the big companies. I think pretty much all of them, yeah. uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, IBM. I mean, she, she had quite the, uh, you know, all, all the big names on her, her resume as a, um, you know, hiring manager or, you know, interviewer, uh, at these companies. And, um, one of the things that I remember that she had said too was that like when it comes to the how to solve the pro- the puzzle, when you're giving these problems, like number one thing you should be doing is start writing down the requirements. Yes, let that let that be number one. Understand them fully. Yeah, because this gives you an opportunity to make sure that you understood and interpreted the, the requirements correctly from the interviewer. Yeah, there's nothing worse than trying to like fix your algorithm that's like totally wrong. And what happens is like you end up with a couple for loops on the board. Next thing you know, you're like kind of moving variables around, and you're totally solving the wrong problem. And it's hard to kind of morph that to the right answer. And copy and paste on a whiteboard just is more difficult. Yeah, there's no undo. Well, terrible. I mean, take it back to grade school stuff. You re- you remember like there would be those problems that it was literally designed to make sure that you were reading the problem completely, right? Like you, the very like maybe the second sentence was just write five for the answer, and if you didn't read everything perfectly, any question any test I got like that, I just made me mad. And, and, but that's what I'm saying. So that's it, it's so important because as the interviewer, the person who is actually giving it to you, they want to make sure that you actually are thorough, right? Like. Like you're going through, you're taking down the requirements like exactly the as stated. Just like uh, read all the questions first. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. And then the last one was just write your name. Yep, yep. And that's so that's kind of the whole thing, right? Like it may be they don't even want you to write an algorithm; they just want you to read and or do something. So so make sure you pay attention. Um, but so that's that's the first part, right? Well, I think the, they want to see you code. They, they definitely they do. want to see you code. They do. They want to see. They want to see how you think and and what your process is and and like what kind of code you might throw out there. So so let's go through the process of what you should probably do in this situation if somebody gives it to you. So like the title case thing, like I said, came from the plural site video. Um, so you have this you have this this set of requirements, right? You get this sentence. You have to uppercase the first and the last word. And then there's certain words like a of the and and maybe some other ones that are always lowercase, right? Um, the first thing you need to do is you need to write down those requirements. Don't write any code. Write the rules. First word always cap. Last word always cap. Um, you know, a the and of always lowercase. Every other word uppercase. All right. So that's your list of requirements that you have right there. Then, so you've put those all down. Now you basically want to try and and like maybe take a sample, write down a sentence, take a sample, and then step through it with the logic that you had and see see what steps you had to do to recreate that. 
Yeah, that's really important. You want to make sure that your answer is correct. You know, you want to be able to solve the the problem, uh, you know, by hand before you go off and do the wrong thing. And this is so. So, so this is how you know if TDD is real. Do you do your your interview puzzles TDD? <laughs> you write the unit test first, and then go back and write the code. Yeah, and if you're being really strict, they do the whole thing where like just write the minimum amount of code to make the test pass. Yeah, that's that's rough. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but Everybody all your whiteboards that. are taken up with unit tests, yeah. and you haven't even written the first bit of code. Yeah, that would be really funny. I've, ne- <laughs> I've never seen someone do that in an interview, but just start writing a test first. But I always test first. Assert that that would be awesome. <laughs> so so yeah, I would say you get a couple of sentences. Like in this case, if it was this example, you'd take a couple of sentences, write it down, and then you know, and do it all kinds of funky, right? Like maybe you have the the with a capital T, a capital H, and a lowercase e, and then you might have and with a lowercase a, a capital N, and a lowercase d, and do just kind of funky things that you wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't know what to expect when you got that input. Now you got to convert it, right? And so then you would I write hear it. like a funky baseline every time you say funky. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. So so then the next thing you would do is after you've kind of figured out where you're trying to get to, you've you've defined those steps. Now you want to pseudocode that, right? And pseudocode doesn't mean start writing your vars and your ints and all that kind of stuff. It says, okay, I'm going to loop through this here. I'm going to do this here. I'm going to do this here, right? So it's just it's generally the the programming steps that you would think in your mind to do that. Then what you're going to do is you're actually going to step through there and now replace your pseudocode with real code. And so so let's let's do this one. It, so you get this sentence in. What, what what are you going to do in order to be able to do this? You're going to capitalize the first word, the last word, and then you're going to um, any this list of things like a of the and those are always lowercase and then all the other words are upper so what would you guys do can you repeat the question (laughs) (laughs) all right joe's out (laughs) so so you get this sentence in what what are you going to do with it now catalyze the first and last and then uh but you have a sentence. What have you got to do to be able to even get these into words, right? Right. You got to tokenize it somehow. Okay. So how are you going to do that? Um, was it uh, split? There we go. Yeah. If, yeah. if I'm working in JavaScript. Yeah, it's a split. Yeah, even in well, C sharp, like, really solve this like right now. I don't yeah, know. And you know, that's a good point. What kind of hung me up is like I started thinking about like going through and kind of like doing like a stack to you know do the words because that'd be most efficient. Like, don't worry about that stuff. It's hard not to. But if you can just concentrate on getting a simple solution that works first, yep. then you can always take it and improve it from there. But uh, focusing on getting it done first is a good idea. Well, see, and that's kind of why. In so saying, solving this on the air. Um, the only reason I'm saying it is because this is the same kind of thing that you'd be facing when you sit down right so and granted it's a little bit more difficult we don't have anything to write anything out with right here we're just kind of going on the fly and i already kind of have in my head how this would work because i'm kind of the one who came up with this one uh as far as watching the video and all that but if this was a real interview i wouldn't have had putting ice cream and a cookie beforehand that's a good point <laughs> i think joe's a little carved out well uh, yeah i don't know I, I i was thinking like uh as you were talking about this kind of problem though, i was thinking like I wonder what kind of uh, you know the the maximum length of the input coming into this might be because that could very easily change. like you could take a simple approach of just say hey you know what let me be lazy I'll upper I'll just upper class or uppercase everything just to be lazy and then I'll come back through and look for these specific instances 
and lowercase them, and then you know maybe deal with something for the the first and last. You know, since since you wanted that, but that's a, a you know a really gross, lazy way to do it. No, but but not necessarily right. And if it's short input, then to Joe's point about uh, just putting together something fast and then iterate over it later, then you know maybe that'll get you there. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of. But the, if you're gonna bring in like you know here's War and Peace now, uh, you know. Well, it, title case, it's a title, title, right? So you would have to assume some sort of length, right? I mean, it, it wouldn't go crazy. You're not talking about throwing a novel into this thing, but so it's yeah. interesting. So exactly what you said, you would split, you would split the words, right? So you get your array, um, and this is kind of the the thought process that you would go through. Is you would say, all right, now at position zero, the first word, let's uppercase it. Position. I uh, see. This is where I actually had a different approach on this too. But uh, off the top of my head, I don't know that the the um, ASCII equivalent, but I was thinking like, hey, what if you did do the split like Joe was suggesting, but then you took an int pointer for the first character of each word and then just added uh, the difference. Which is, yeah, I right? don't remember Which what is like, that is. Well, I don't know, something like 30 or something? I don't remember what well, it is. Yeah, I don't remember. I was like, oh, that'd be a neat approach. That probably that might be pretty. Well, fast you could too. you could probably just do one quick. Yeah, like if, for, if, like say if if this value is less than whatever the nth value of uh, a lowercase z is, right? If it's between this range, right, and then you could just add in the difference, and that would uppercase it. Yeah, you could you could also find that difference if you just took the car of a capital A and a car of a lowercase a and then subtracted yeah. the two and found it. Yeah, in ASCII. But by the way, these are all things that you, these are conversations you do not want to have in an interview. Yeah, yeah, you don't this want is to why do you that. Practice system. No, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't want to be talking about See, ASCII. I don't even and know Unicode. that I agree with the whole practicing thing though. Like for specifically for the interviews, though. I mean, don't don't you're not going to the chances of you practicing a question that's going to come up on an interview. It's got nothing to do with is, the question. It's got to do with the practice. So really, what you're practicing is the steps, writing it down. Getting the steps, yeah. Giving but test inputs, outputs. But where I'm going with that though is that, like, just a little while ago, we were talking about like, well, why should you practice these problems? And one of the things that was said was practice for a job interview. And I was kind of like, I mean, I didn't say anything at the time, but I was kind of thinking like, I don't know that there's any value in practicing that for an interview because the chances of you getting a question that you practice, there's no value in that. Then what, because let's say, let's say, but hold, hold on, up, hear but me before out. you go further, let's though. say that you do get, let's say that you happen to luck up and, and a question that you practice, let's say FizzBuzz, that you practiced was asked of you. Well, if you just like randomly throw up an answer real quick, then they're going to know like, oh, wait a minute, he was, he already knew that one. No, but here, uh, I'll, I'll take this back to the um, resource that, taking the chance to like but, practice writing, like, Let's take this the back to the resource with the with the interviewer and you know writing out the requirements. You recommended like that, so. uh, cracking the coding uh, interview. Yeah, why even yeah. do it? So per what you're saying though, I disagree. I think everything comes with practice. You don't ever get better at something by not practicing. Do you think that you're going to get the same exact problem? No, probably not. And you. I, to your point, yeah, if you just went in there, you're like, oh, I got this, right? You throw it up on the board, they're going to be like, oh, well, that was easy. We still got 45 minutes left. Well, that's hey. actually a scenario that she points out in the book, though, is that like if someone uh, you know, obviously already knew this particular question, maybe because it was one that they happened to practice, or, a or maybe they told just them? got it at a previous interview, mm, right? You know, or in the scenario that you provide, maybe somebody told them, hey, this question gets asked, Um yeah, you know, that that was one of the, that was one of the the tells that she looked for. Yeah, was that if you if you went through it too quick, if you didn't start interacting with the interviewer about the question 
and you just immediately started, you know, to know it, then they knew that, like, okay, he already knows this one. We need to move on. Yeah, I, I don't think you're practicing to get better at fizzbuzz, though. You're right. practicing to solve problems quickly. Yes. Like, it's somewhat tricky problems. Yeah, and, and again, I think it's more about, it, it's almost like when you do a math problem when you're in school. You're not, you're not just doing the math problem because you know that that's going to be on the test because you don't know it's going to be on the test. When you do long division, you're doing it because you need to get better at doing it. And it's the same thing with this process. It's really about the process of, okay, let me break down the steps. Now let me put it in pseudocode. Let me put it in real code. And then let me go back and refine, right? That's that's the step that we didn't get to a second ago was, okay, after you went through and coded this thing. So let's say let's say that we went throughout that, that Joe started with where he said, okay, I got this sentence. I'm going to split that into strings, right? Now I need to go through and step through and do these replacements where I do the uppercase on the first, the last, whatever. Okay, after you look at that, then you might go back and say, oh, man, what if I just lowercase the entire sentence before I tokenized it? And then there are certain things that I would never have to uppercase, right? So there, there are things that you could look at in ways to do that. So really, it's about the process. It's not about, oh, man, I hope I get this problem when I go in there. It's about, okay, this, this, is, this is going to allow me to breathe easily, right? Like when I go and sit down in this interview, if I'm used to taking these steps and breaking them down into little pieces that are digestible, then I can go through and step through it. At that point, you have a comfort level and you've, and you've learned how to problem solve in a way that's not going to back you into a corner. I can't tell you how many people I've seen in an interview where they had to write code on the board where the first thing they do is start writing code and five minutes in, they're like, oh, that's not going to work. And then they're erasing stuff and trying to move things everywhere. And it's like we said, you can't copy and paste on a board. You can't cut and paste. So literally, they're up there just wiping off the board. And, that, and now they're frustrated because they lost their line of thought because they can't even see it anymore. And and they get they get panicky. Downward spiral. It is. And, and it's and it's almost frustrating to watch because as a person interviewing, you, you kind of want to help them out. You've been like, yeah, that's not going to work, dude. But you, you kind of got to give them some rope, right? It, and it's that's one of the things why I say like if you take it back a step and you say let me let me break this down into pieces that I can then recreate I think that's the value of actually going and doing it on your own well if you were going to take my ASCII approach let me first say that <laughs> uppercase a is a lower ASCII value than lowercase a ah 65 versus 97 so I looked that up so <laughs> So yeah, so be thirty-two would be the number. So you'd be subtracting it. I'm just imagining like an interview, but like you go in there and they ask you this problem, and you're like, "Okay, first, um, do you mind if I Google for the ASCII values of A?" Because <laughs> well, no, you can just do what uh, Alan suggested. Yeah, yeah just take the Carvel. Yeah. But it was bugging me. I was like, "What is the value?" Yeah, it it does. Um, you know, like one thing that you know, I guess a lot of the a lot of the show notes here that we'd put together were more in the mindset of like why you as an interviewee mm-hmm. might want to do this. But one thing as an interviewer that I think that, you know, if you're on the other side of the table in these situations though, is that, um, you know, don't necessarily, if the, if the interviewee gets the question wrong, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should, uh, you know, Dismiss. Uh, dismiss them automatically, right. right? I mean, like, you know, because, you know, th- th- that's a stressful situation for anyone. So, 
uh, you know, don't, don't just automatically dismiss them just because of that. There's, there's more to take into consideration and, and their thought process and, you know, the direction they were going that that's, uh, you know, valuable. And like Alan said too, you know, I mean, sometimes you might need to, uh, help the candidate along, you know, just to ease their comfort level. I mean, I'm not saying you got to give them the answer, right. but, but them getting the answer right or wrong isn't necessarily what you should be gauging. Yeah. You're trying to see a thought process. And like I said, also the interaction, right? Like, like you want to judge something because it is a stressful situation for a lot of people. You want to see how they react to the pressure, right? Like it, and, and a lot of the better interviews that I've been involved with or seen or, or, or taken part of, Typically, if somebody gets hung up, they'll be like, "What the way that the interviewer will approach or should approach is, hey, I see that you've got this and I see where you're going. Maybe you should just, you know, think about moving this over here, right? And maybe spark something in the person. And then that way they're like, oh, 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 okay, I got it, right? It, and, and again, it's the whole reaction, the interaction between the people, like it, it's the whole thing. Because there are going to be times, like we said, where you sit there for half the day and you're like, oh, why can't this work, Right. And, and maybe all you need is like a coworker to be like, oh, well, we'll try this out, right? The symbols flipped the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it, it's one of those things to where it's it's a judge of so many things. Do you, Are you comfortable with the programming language? Like, I guess you, one of the scenarios I'm thinking of, though, is if, like, if it's a trick question, right? Yeah. And you know it's a trick question. Yeah. And there's some like obscure way to solve this problem efficiently. Like really efficiently, you know, doing some kind of weird, you know, uh, casting the character to an end, right? You know, like some kind of weird like way to solve the problem, right? And the interviewee doesn't, you know, maybe come up with that solution, and they come up with one that's maybe not as uh, efficient, but they try. Like, you know, like I'm saying, like that thought process of to how they how they were going to it could still be couldn't still make them a valuable valuable member of your team and uh you know regardless of whether or not they came up with oh i recognize this specific trick that you're looking for uh let me just add these values up and then subtract out the right mean value blah 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 or whatever those are the ones that are frustrating divide by pi and carry the two so speaking of what he just said if you go on a project euler which is a lot of mathematical type challenges it is so frustrating not being a mathematician because after you, uh, so just a little insight and, and it's worth going up and checking out, but like, I think the first one's similar to FizzBuzz. I, I don't, I don't remember exactly how it went. It's like you sum the uh, numbers rather yeah. than printing. Yeah. So you basically take all multiples of three and all multiples of five below a thousand, and then you have to sum up all those things. All right. And then, and then all it wants is what's, what's the answer at the end. And you can go about it any way you want. You can write loops, you can do whatever. The problem is you get into the form afterwards and you'll see these mathematicians in there that'll have this equation written out where they just plugged in some numbers and they plopped out the thing. And you're like, wait, how am I supposed to know that? And that's one of the things that you run into. A lot of times if it's math related, There'll be some sort of equation that people you're just not going to know about. Yeah, I mean, like for example, I, I want to read off this one because this is this is an example of like the kind of things that you're talking about. Where like if you're not ready for the math tricks that are out there, um, 
you know, this is the kind of question you might get. So this is the, the problem that you were talking about from Project Euler. If we list all the natural numbers below 10 that are multiples of 3 or 5, we get 3, 5, 6, and 9. The sum of these multiples is 23, which is Michael Jordan's number. It's a very good number. Find, <laughs> find the sum of all the multiples of 3 or 5 below 1,000. Yep. All right. So that, that, that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about there. And the thing is, as a programmer, you're probably thinking about doing loops and, and modulos and that kind of stuff. And that's, that's a very valid approach. Just know that there's some math genius out there who's figured out how to do this using some summation equation. And unless you're aware of it, you're not going to be able to do it that way. Now, that is one more important tip that I can give you. If you are in an interview where they ask you a question like this, you look at all the things that they say, okay? Like this one, it says multiples of threes and fives. You say, hey, are there any tips that you can, are, are there any like magical equations that I should be aware of to make this easier? And the interviewer might say, I'm not aware of any, or they might say, yeah, everything that does this and this, then you can apply this equation. So it's also an exploratory thing, right? Don't be afraid to ask the interviewer if they give you these things and you're not fully aware of, of all the pieces that may happen, right? Like you remember sitting in uh, oh God, probably chemistry class. A lot of times they would hand you out a cheat sheet because if you didn't know how to do it, you weren't going to get it right with or without Wait, the cheat sheet. You got sheet. a cheat sheet in chemistry class? I needed one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, it, it's one of those things like uh, calculus, algebra, that kind of stuff. There's all these equations out there, right? Like if you looked at it and you didn't know what that little fish symbol on the page was, it didn't matter that they gave you that equation. You weren't going to get it right. But, so. but I also think it's important too to like, this is another thing too, that kind of bugs me is that like kind of to the joke that we were talking about before though, too, is like, if you're the interviewer, you know, your questions should be respective of the job that you're trying. I think they never seem to be right. Because like, don't ask me a mathematical question like this. And then what world know, like, like we joked in? before <laughs> about like, Hey, I need you to change the font on the about us page. Right. Or, uh, you know, Hey, everything needs to be two pixels to the left. Yeah. If you're you being know, hired to like, do distributed networking systems, then maybe then maybe that's what you should be interviewing. But it, it sometimes it does feel like it's disproportionate, right? Yeah. I do remember someone saying once uh, that they took a job because of the the questions they were asked. And I was just like, "Sorry, man, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we totally misled you there." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was just an interview man <laughs> it had nothing to do with the job it's nothing personal yeah so again just revamping quickly determine the problem write down the steps don't code it then pseudo code the solution replace the pseudo code with with actual code and then go back and refine see if you can make it simpler easier less steps whatever which one of those can i skip uh, if you skip any of these, <laughs> do it at your own peril. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. Like there are some people like I, I used to love math. I, or I guess I still do, but I used to skip, skip steps all the time. Right. If you know that you are good at that, you can do that. Otherwise I very much recommend that you go through these. Now, nah, chances are it's, it, I was joking uh, when I was asking that, like you, you shouldn't skip either. Ch chances are high that even if you did, if you were good at it, 
like I said, you know, some of what they're trying to gauge is is your thought process and your interaction. And if you don't, if you don't even write it out there, and you don't just take the time to discuss that, they're not going to know what your thought process is. Right. The interviewer can't read your mind. So if you're not going to like discuss it or write it out, they're not going to know how you got to that. Right. And like I said, they're trying to see your thought process. Well, so. it would be even better is if you had like done the problem on your phone or <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you just pull it up. On the table, like looking like fist hey, pose. Hey, give me one second. Hey, yeah, uh, I brought a cheat sheet with me. Can I? <laughs> so, so I, I feel like, uh, you know, in the, in the vein of why you should not practice puzzles, I, I kind of already, you know, mentioned my reason for it. Uh, which reason is that? Is it that there's no real world value? <laughs> no, just that like the 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 chances. Well, I was saying don't practice them for for specifically for interviews. I mean, not if you think that it's going to help you because well, when this question comes up, I'll be ready for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Never ever do it for that reason. That, ever. That, no. You know, do it because you want a fun challenge. You know, you know, then that's okay. So right? because it's cheating, basically. You're no, doing it because I was saying that like the likelihood of it coming up is if you're right. doing it because you think that you know I want to be prepared. This isn't like like the chemistry test that Alan used the cheat sheet on. This isn't like you know a, a, your school test where you know whatever you studied in that chapter is likely going to be right covered on that test. This isn't like that. No, this is more about honing your skills in in problem solving. That's really all you're doing. Although there are websites out there for uh, practice problems for Google interviews. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> People actually uh, will write up the ones that they've gotten. And so maybe you can go out there and learn. Well, Vince Vaughn got a job there. That's so right. He that's did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> but all he had to do was just give him a video. Yeah, that's right? a good point. So. Yes. Uh, also, uh, speaking of Google, um, they recently kind of came out and said they were getting away from these kind of puzzly type problems because it's not a great indicator of job performance. Well, I thought the ones that they were getting away from were like the w- weird questions like, um, if you were a window washer in San Francisco, how much would you charge to wash each window and why? Like those kind of questions. And right? how many windows are there on a city block or something? Like how, how many golf balls could fit in a, in a school bus? Like I thought those were the kind of questions they were getting away from. That's what I understood too. Oh. Yeah. It wasn't they're the, still it wasn't doing the, the coding challenges. Was, yeah. Questions. It was just the random, how, how do you think type things? Yeah. yeah. How many pickup trucks are there in Illinois? Yeah, those kind of questions. They got rid of those. Fifteen, because uh, that's how many people. Live. No, just kidding. Oh, that's a bummer. So my uh, my dreams of um, BSing my way through a Google interview are crumbling. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Unless you happen to get with Vince Vaughn and make a video, then. Yeah. But uh, another reason hope. not to uh, practice puzzles is uh, that uh, there might be, and this is arguable, um, more effective things to uh, to improve on. So I would argue that. Um, since most of your time spent working is not writing programs for algorithms that uh, you could probably do yourself more good by learning more about code organization and naming and solving real life business problems. Um, Get problems, for example, those kinds of (laughs) things would probably save you more time day to day than, uh, you know, doing project Euler. Although project Euler is awesome. There, there's some truth to well, that. Well, I mean, like, like you know, the example that you guys teased me about earlier about for learning a, a new language, then yeah, sure. You know, I mean, if that's if that's a way you want to learn a new language, then sure. I think that'd be a fun way to do it. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the next question, though, or the last question, which is, what do you guys think is the best, most time-effective thing you can do to improve your, you know, day-to-day programming life? 
topcode.com. Did <laughs> you make some you make some money? You make some money while you're trying. I, I, I don't know. I, like I I'm I'm a sports driven person and part of it is because I like competition, right? There's a goal. Like when I was sitting down to learn something like Ruby, if I didn't have some end goal in mind, it was literally just staring at the computer like, okay, what what am I going to do? Right? But if you have something like Top Code where you're competing to get some money and there's actually a reason to do it other than, hey, I just want to learn how to do this, then I don't know. It kind of gives some extra drive, right? It, even, even with self-projects, you know, I mean, Joe's probably the only one here who's done like a huge project on the side, literally on the side with, uh, um, oh, my God. No, color mine. Color mine. It's not that big. Um, but no, I mean, it's a pretty massive site. Like I've gone through and looked at it. It is hard to make yourself buckle down and do that kind of stuff, right? Because it, it, it's it's a, it's a pet project. And so having something like Top Code makes a lot of sense to me. Or Project Euler. I'll tell you one of the things that I found that I really liked about it was that 3 plus 5 thing. So after you get done, they open up a link to a forum where you can see all the answers that everybody else has done, which is both frustrating and rewarding to a certain degree. Because... Like the way I went about it, I was skipping, you know, like I wasn't looping from one to a thousand because I didn't need all those numbers, but it was interesting. The number of people that literally just did, Hey, I equal I plus one. And you know, they looped all of them. And then there was the the flip side of it where you had these mathematicians out there that basically had one line with, you know, four plug in equation things, and then they were done. So you can kind of, you can see how different people solve these things. And it's kind of nice because it opens up your mind to thinking about the next problem. Hey, how could I solve this a little bit differently? Right. So. And I, what I like about puzzles is, um, you know, with, with side projects, they can be open-ended. You know, you, most of them never get finished. Most of them don't even get started. But with the puzzle, you can spend 20 minutes and you get the right answer and you get a little, you know, you get a little uh, hit of dopamine or whatever and you feel good and you learn something and you've got something to show for it. Yeah, it's like playing around a Call of Duty. You're in and you're out. You're yeah, done. You have a finish line. Oh, yeah. God, no. Call of Duty. <laughs> it's, it's much more of a time suck than that. But yeah, it it there there's a finite that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel with them, which is kind of cool. Yep. And uh, did I mention I'm level two on Project Euler? Yeah, that's ridiculous. That means he has solved fifty of these things. Yep, uh, and that was before they he lost their database. That, oh, actually, I, I do have a link, and the name is uh, it's shared with um, a bunch of my other names on social media, so I can kind of prove it. <laughs> but yeah, they lost their database, and what that means is um. It was, it was their user database, so people weren't able to log in, and because they never asked for your email, there was no way to verify that you were whatever account name. So what you could do if they did allow you to kind of claim accounts is you can go look at the leaderboard and say, hey, that guy solved uh, 500 problems. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Reset my password. And uh, they had no way of verifying because they had no email addresses on file. So everyone who uh, who did um, Project Euler problems, or most people who did them, uh, were locked out of their accounts. Like so, me. And I'm that's, a, why, that's why they replaced the very first Project Euler question with architectural questions. All right. <laughs> How uh, often should you, be, should you back up your database? Right. Yeah. But, uh, Hourly? Daily? Weekly? Yeah, and that's one of those things. Like You can spend a lot more time... Uh, with problems like uh, database backups. But uh, the good news is that I do have all these solutions um, of, to all my problems. So I can go back and kind of plug them in, but uh, not a big deal. That's organization. I definitely would not have those. 
Yeah. That's resume. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one, one of the things that he's got here is what is the best, most effective thing you can do to improve your craft? And we, we've hit on this in several of these, um, but we got reading. We've got what? You already asked that. Huh? <laughs> you actually kind of answered it. <laughs> Somebody wasn't paying attention. <laughs> oh, I said top code, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, it was but, good we didn't, but we didn't say reading. We didn't say plural sight. Oh, yeah. I just say... kind of threw that in there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, guys. the question was there, but yeah, we didn't. Nobody like, answered any of Okay. Yeah. Well, my my answer is actually to just do everything. So you should read, you should watch videos, you should do a side project because you get a kind of different perspective from each of things. There is no silver bullet, you know, in my opinion. So you know, doing puzzles isn't going to get you everything you need, and neither is watching portal site videos. That doesn't mean that I dislike either one. It's just uh, you need a broader perspective. Yeah, and yeah, I'd agree with that. This podcast. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, that should have been first. <laughs> Man, how did you miss that one? Right. Yeah. The best thing yeah. you could do for learning programming is to leave us a review. Yes, that, that will definitely help uh-huh. you out in this world of learning. All right. <laughs> uh, All right, so so the uh, resources that we talked about and that we like are topcoder.com. We mentioned um, once or twice. Yeah, a couple times. Uh, what is this? Rosalind.info slash problems dash list or slash list. That is not the the Rosalind that we're used to, to thinking of. This is Rosalind. It's just got a really nice collection of problems that you can do to kind of learn, learn new stuff. It's much less mathy than Project Euler. Oh, that's better. <laughs> um, code... Golf. CodeGolf.StackExchange. Yes. yes. So like in golf, um, Masters are going on uh, not too far from here, actually. Uh, the Masters are done. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, it's finished. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a 21-year-old just yeah. smoked it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, Second youngest. The goal, the goal is to basically solve problems in as few lines as possible. And there's some really clever problems and solutions. Very cool. Uh, Project Euler, we said. Google Doc, or Google Code Jam. Is one and uh, cracking the coding interview by Gail McDowell. Yeah, we'll have links to all of these in the show notes. So let's get into the tip of the week. All right. So, so since Joe mentioned that you know, uh, working on learning things that'll solve your real life, you know, day to day business problems, and he specifically called out Git, I have a Git tip of the week for you. So, uh, assuming you use command line like every Git user should, <laughs> Git has tab completion in their commands. So, for example, let's say you want to check out a branch and uh, you could maybe don't remember what the whole thing is or maybe it's a long branch name, you don't want to type the whole thing. You could say git space checkout space start typing the branch name tab tab and then git will suggest all the branches that start with that portion of the branch name you've already typed in just like tab completion works everywhere else that you've ever used how do they do that it's awesome that's it's gotta be built into bash or situate or something out i don't know it's not running git but you know just by hitting tab right yeah no it's it's a bash thing i would say it's pretty cool though all right no it's a git thing because if you do it it's got to be on a Git thing because if you do it on uh, on checkouts, you could do it. You could do it on files too. Like if you wanted to add or ch- uh, maybe if you wanted to do a checkout reset on a file, or if you wanted to do it on 
uh, like if you wanted to add a file to your to your staged commits or if you wanted to remove it you could do it there too and it'll it'll show you the suggestions and it'll do it based on here not just the files that are on your directory system but here are the ones that are modified mm. that you might want to consider like okay. staging for a commit. That's okay. pretty cool. Yeah, that is awesome. All right, um, mine. If I, it's a, if it's on the bash level and not in Git level, then mind blown. <laughs> no, that makes sense. It's part of the Git program. Yeah, uh, like some sort of Git bash integration. I don't know. Yeah, it's cool. So mine, I'm cheating. Uh, well, might make me question because I do use Git bash. Yeah, I, I'm not certain. We, I'd have to try it in something else that wasn't Git Bash to see. But I mean, like everything, like Git Bash or even Conimu, I use Git Bash inside of that. No, no. So, like, if you use Terminal on Mac or something, yeah, that's um, that's what I'm getting at. I oh know. yeah, I can do that right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, like, oh, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> I have a terminal command right here. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so mine's a little bit of a cheat. Uh, Mike Barlow wrote in, and he, like ourselves, we've mentioned oh, many times a repo, that that we listen to oh, our podcast one. sped up. It, like I, Mike does it at two speed. I do mine at like one point eight. I don't know if Joe does anything different. One speed for the win. One five. So that's that's one of the great things about YouTube recently, and being that I just uploaded a YouTube video, this is very near and dear to my heart. You can speed up YouTube videos. Um. If you're using the HTML5 player like in Chrome, then you can go in and set it on 1.5 speed, 1.75, and it's awesome. Well, he pointed out that there is a little shortcoming in that not everything allows you to do that. Like if you go to Vimeo, you can't speed those up. So he found this plugin for Chrome that is called Video Speed Controller, and it's in the Chrome Web Store. We'll have a link on, on the show notes for this. But if you are using the HTML5 video player and the video can be played in that, then you can speed up the control of that video using this plugin. And that's kind of cool. So you could speed up video all over the interwebs. And I find this extremely helpful, especially for you learning videos. Like like the one that I put together. Like I don't want to sit there and listen to, listen to it for 15 minutes. But I definitely would like to speed through it. And if there's a part that I want to go back and we listen to, then I might slow it down and back it up and do it again. But, you know, for the most part, I'm just cruising through this stuff. So uh, really nice tip. I appreciate that, Mike. Uh, thanks for sending it in. And uh, thanks for letting me cheat. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you mentioned it. Like, I listen to probably, I don't know, we'll say like at least 10 hours of audio, you know, talking per week. And uh, I'm so I've gotten so used to it being faster now. And when I watch movies and TV shows, sometimes I'm like getting really impatient. Like even if I like the show, I'm like, "Come on, Daredevil!" What about Game of Thrones? There's no way that you want that sped up. Uh, too slow. Oh come on! Uh, there's not enough dragons. Just you know, come on North, come on dragons. Let's get to it. <laughs> I, I think we need to get George R. R. Martin to finish the series. Then if that's what Good you're looking for, that. yeah. All right, finally, uh, my tip, um, Andy Joyner sent us this. Uh, it was a pretty cool tip. So basically um, using a transaction roll up, rollback if you're working in SQL to kind of try out queries before they actually happen. So what that means is you basically kind of begin a transaction, do some stuff, and then make sure that you run that rollback if you're not actually ready to do it yet. Now to kind of flush out problems and see what's going to happen without making any permanent changes. So it's definitely a scary tactic, you know, because you don't want something to actually break or you have a typo in your rollback or something and it doesn't happen. Um, but if you're doing one of those things where you like tried it on dev five times and now you're ready to do it and you want like one more thing to kind of make sure, then uh, it's a pretty cool uh, trick. 
It is an awesome trick. I will forewarn you, though, depending on what tables you're doing that on, you actually lock other tables from doing any queries. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you definitely are, uh, you know, you are playing <laughs> playing with fire. You are. So be careful about that. And one other thing I will caution you with there, if you're doing a small set, fine. If you're doing like thousands and thousands of rows, it can take a long time to run that update or whatever it is maybe that you're running. That rollback is going to take equally as long, if not longer. So yeah, we kind of wonder like any DBAs listening to the show now are like, no, <laughs> no, no devs in the database. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it is an awesome tip. I definitely use it myself. Uh, but just just be forewarned that this is not your your first line that you want to try. Man, I I feel lied to about. I- yeah, it didn't I, work on my terminal. Yeah, I think it's a it's a, a git bash. Get some of that! Wow. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> so I guess inside a git bash, then they have it smart enough because, like, uh, on my Mac here, <clears throat> I checked out a cloned color mine, and if I start modifying some of the files, and then I do like a git uh, add, and then tab tab, it just shows me all the files, mm. and if I start to type any one, it just automatically picks one. So you're um, saying git bash for the win then? Yeah, I think you might have sold me on Git Bash. No, no, but actually, no, hold on. Let's take it a step further. Go ahead and install Git Bash, then install Konimu, and then just run Git Bash as a new tab inside Konimu. Yeah, but that's what I was saying. That's what I meant before when I said, though, that even yeah. if you were doing it inside of Konimu, it's using Git Bash. It's still, like, that's why that's why I didn't put the two and two together because I've kind of, that's probably another um, confession I should make, that, you know, <laughs> I've converted over to Konimu. <laughs> Oh, you did! Welcome yeah. to the see, club, sir. Now, see, now I gave Alan a big head. I already yeah. don't like this. I already had a big. All right, so. I take it back. <laughs> I, I am. You love it, don't bash you? Come on, forever fan. You love it, don't you? So, well, you know, oh, actually, good. Don't, don't don't well. No, this is a good well because here's here's what here's what uh, finally convinced me on it. You know, because I was a, I was a strong believer in just using Git Bash just because uh, less is more kind of scenario, right? Like, why do I want to install, you know, I want to install as little as possible. Um, you know, I want my system to be as clean as possible. And that means installing as, as little as possible to get the job done. Right? I agree with that. And, you know, if I was already going to install Git Bash, then I don't want to have to install other terminals as well or other shells as well. Right. But, um, on a, if, you know, you talked about some DPI issues with, if you're using, for example, like a Mac retina a macbook pro with a retina display and then you know going between uh you know monitor sizes and especially if you're using that in boot camp then it you know normal by default windows uh 8.1 at least in my experience on a macbook pro with a retina display you know if you were to bring up something like git bash or powershell or command prompt the font sizes were so incredibly small. It's like one pixel. You know, that it was like written for ants to read. <laughs> and and I don't mean like your family member. I mean like <laughs> <laughs> so so uh you know, but Connie Mew though, on the other hand, really handled that situation well and it didn't matter. And um I think like back when we did the episode on, you know, our favorite tools, um, I think one of the things that you had referenced then at that time was that you could unlike PowerShell or 
command prompt, you could just resize it to any size that you wanted to, and it and it just you know the window it acted like any other kind of window should. Yep. Um, whereas, like if you wanted to have more width on like PowerShell or command prompt, you had to go right click on the properties, change the layout, you know nine 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 nine, and then you know then you could have some more width on it, right? And uh, with Connie Mew, like it just acts like a normal window. It's so great. Right? So I kind of got converted on it. But so on my Mac, though, going back to the Git thing, is that if I if I say you know I modify multiple files on here. Sorry, Joe. I'm gonna put in a pull request for this. And um, Dash F. <laughs> just push it. <laughs> and and if I do something like if I do one where there's like multiple files that have similar names, um, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's definitely um, just showing me all the files that begin with that. Whereas on Git Bash, it was smart enough to show like here's the ones that um, that have actually changed. Man, unless man. maybe I just had some some dumb luck. In, uh, you had some really good man, coffee. Man, now you, you know what it is. I just feel like I, you know I'm taking back my whole tip of the week. It's uh, I'm good. <laughs> it's a non-tip of the week. Get bash. That's the tip of the week. Yes, get bash was the tip of the week. I thought in it was roundabout. Me. In a, okay. Oh, there you go. Well, no, no. Both of these have you been. You need them. Yes. Tips of the week at different yes. times. But yes. Together. Together, they are pure tip joy. of the month. Tab 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 key is our tip of the week. Yes. All right. All right so let's put in this pull request real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, like we've said before, if you're listening to us for the first time, someone loaned you uh, uh, their phone or mp3 player and uh you know you're not already subscribed to us go to codingblocks.net and you can find out more information you can subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and more using your favorite podcast app and uh, be sure to leave us a review on itunes or stitcher if you haven't already we greatly appreciate it yep and contact us we've gotten a lot of questions and topics here recently we love those we are actually stashing them away and we're going to be going through them like we said we're going to be doing a Q&A session we're going to send them to each other as Christmas cards yeah they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> there we go thinking ahead for next year's New Year resolutions um, so yeah definitely do send us send us any questions topics leave your name any preferred method of shout out you have and uh, yeah, that's it. Visit www.codingblocks.net where you can find our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, rants, and questions to comments at codingblocks.net. And uh, follow us on Twitter at codingblocks. We also have this thing called Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Nobody uses that. Yeah, we have a mailing list too. We do have a mailing. Hey, yeah, come come sign up on our mailing list. We email you about once a year. <laughs> actually hold on we've done what two or three this year uh, yeah maybe yeah, I don't know. Hey, you know. hey if we get more people on the mailing list we're we'll no send- mathematicians so uh <laughs> but, <laughs> counting this is all a for loop <laughs> so, so yeah come up come up to cody blocks and sign up for our newsletter and and the whole goal is we're going to send out like some of this cool stuff over time so um that is it and i've almost got this title casing program done are you doing? Are you working on it? Right? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs>